just began a brand new theme since we just began a brand new year. It's 2015, and this year we want to talk about the concept of walking worthy of your calling. Our key verse in this whole year uh, will be Ephesians 4.1, where Paul began the practical part of the book of Ephesians. And after he had told them all the blessings that they had in Christ, he said, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, we spent last week trying to understand that verse and get our kind of hands around that a little bit. And our picture, if you remember, was a scale. And what Paul says is you, you have a great calling and you need to walk worthy of that. That's what the word means is balancing the scale, equalizing the scale. And we finished by talking about how great a calling we had uh, to lead us into the study of what that walk needs to be like. And we're not quite ready to talk about the walk yet, but uh, that's the concept that this verse has in it. Uh, we're tackling the first question first, if you will. Uh, that verse gives us two questions. What's my calling? And then what's walking worthy of that? And we want to spend a little time on that first question about what's our calling. So that's uh, where we are. We started last week on that. Moses' calling was very clear. Uh, the voice came from the burning bush and said, I want you to go to Egypt for me. Uh, Moses didn't agree with that call. He argued a while, but he eventually uh, took his calling. And there's a lot of that kind of thing in the Bible. We'll talk about a number of them today. Uh, ours, as we looked at last week, is a definite calling to all spiritual blessings. We've been called to heaven. We've been called to a prize in heaven. We've been called to be forgiven. We've called, been called to be redeemed by the blood. We've been called to have all the blessings that Christ has for us. That's what we've been called to. Now, today we want to move on from that and talk about answering the call. I want to make sure before we begin our study of walking that we've answered the call. Our verse, let's look at it again, just says calling. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And it sounds kind of like there's just one calling. Well, there is one very important calling, and we'll straighten that out in just a moment. But I would propose, and I put in your handout, I think there's at least three types of calling. And we're going to spend most of our time this year on the first one, but I think there are at least three types of calling. Uh, what does the Bible mean when it says the call of God? The call of God. For those of you that are listening to this on tape, I have a picture up before the audience of an old-fashioned black telephone. You know those old kind? Most of you know those old kind that weighed about 20 pounds and... Uh, it says the call of God on it. Uh, when I put that picture, I picked it out and I said, that's a really cool picture. And then I thought, well, we got about half the crowd that won't even know what that is. Uh, our teens are gone, but we've still got a few millennials around here that probably wonder, what is that strange black instrument there on that picture? Uh, so in 21st century pictures, here's God's call. Uh, and there's a handheld 
phone, and it's got a caller ID that says God is calling. Uh, you, you get the concept either way. God, God's calling. He's speaking to you, to us, with some kind of a call. And the three that I'd like to go over very quickly, uh, the first one, there is a universal call. John 3.16 is a famous verse. Probably everybody in here almost can quote John 3.16. We've heard it so many times. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loves us (coughs) that He wants us to have everlasting life. He sent His Son to make that possible. That's what He calls us to. Uh, it's a universal call. Second uh, Peter three nine comments on this call. The Lord is not slow <coughs> excuse me, to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All right. God doesn't want anybody to perish. That's a universal call. He wants everybody to come to repentance. That's a universal call. What are we called to? What's this universal call to? First Timothy 6.12 tells us, Paul told Timothy, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're called to eternal life. That's what this universal call is. God wants us to live with Him in everlasting life. We're called to eternal life, Paul told Timothy. That's the universal call, the basic call. I was just about to call for some water. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's pretty good. Get it before you even ask for it. Uh, the, the universal basic call is to salvation, to reconciliation with God. That's the message that Paul said he had been given and that we've been given is tell people to be reconciled to Christ. Eternal life with God. Uh, that includes all those spiritual blessings we talked about. All right, second kind of call is it's an individual call. It's an individual call to Christian service. Everybody in the world is called to that universal call. Once you answer that, once you are a Christian, once you are walking with God, then the Bible's got a lot of places where it talks about us being called to something, to do something, to serve. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, I put on your handout for you because it details it. Paul said, we're like a body. Once you're a Christian, once you're in Christ, once you're his body, then you're like a body that has many members, and the members don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, members of one another, having gifts that differ According to the grace given to us, let us use them. There's an individual call. Paul wrote to the Romans, 
You're in the body. You've all got different gifts. Use them. If you came early enough for, for class and listened to the elders' presentation of all the things that go on around here, how do all those things go on around here? Because people have answered this individual call to use their gifts. So many Northsiders do that that we can do a lot of things. God's gifted us so with so many gifts, and people answer this call to service and serve Him. Third, there is a personal call in the Bible. I pictured on the a slide here, Moses, and a picture of Solomon's temple, and a picture of Saul on the road to Damascus. All those men received a special, personal, individual call to something unique to them. Universal call, individual call for everybody to use the gifts they've been given. But a few times in the Bible, specific people receive specific calls. Moses, we already talked about, God said, I want you to go to Egypt. David said, I want to build the temple. God said, no, I'm calling Solomon to build the temple. That's his call, not your call. You don't get to. Saul, on the road to Damascus, was called to a special uh, position of evangelism. He was called to be an apostle. He also received the universal call there, which we'll see in a moment. Abraham was perfectly happy in the land of Ur. God spoke to him, said, Abram, I want to bless you. I want you to leave Ur and go where I show you. Nobody else has ever been called to leave Ur. Abraham got that specific call. Gideon was hiding in the wine press because he didn't think he could do anything. And God said, Gideon, I want you to save your people. You're being called to defeat the Philistines. Gideon argued with him. In fact, if you notice, that's kind of a common thread through all the specific calls. Almost always people argue with God. They say, I can't do that. Well, God said, I'm I'm calling you to that. So there's a few like that. Now, I'll tell you those three so we won't get them confused. All three of them are valid calls. They're they're worth uh, our study. They're worth our thinking about. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about them briefly. But of those three, the universal, the individual call to service, and the specific call to a mission, the universal one's the most important. Now, I realize you could say, well, God's calling. They're all important. Yeah, well, yes. But the universal... uh, Call to eternal salvation is the most important. Why is it so important? Because it's the difference between heaven and hell. It's important that you serve. It's important that you leave Ur if God told you to. It's important to go to Egypt if God tells you to. But this one, this universal call that we're talking about today, is the difference between heaven and hell. It's important, of course, because that's what we're going to talk about all year is this universal call and walking worthy of it. We've been called to a high heavenly calling, and Paul says, now walk like it. So it's important for that reason. But the main reason it's important 
because it's about our eternal destiny. Okay? Peter said in 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord's coming. And everything here that you may do, be doing instead of answering the universal call, everything here is going to disappear with a roar. Heavens are going to be burned up. The elements are going to be burned up. Everything that you may think is more important than answering the universal call is going to be dissolved. That's a pretty important call. He's calling us to live with him eternally. Now, something that important, it's important we get the right directions. It's important we know how to answer the call. And that's why I'm spending this one lesson on that. When I said directions, it just reminded me, Cindy and I just got back from Dallas. We took a short trip down there, and we came out from an underground parking garage. And I glanced up at the compass on my mirror, and it told me what direction we were going. And I said, okay, that's the direction we're supposed to be going. And so I just took off driving that direction, and things started looking like they shouldn't look. I was getting into a neighborhood that I didn't think I wanted to get into. You know, this wasn't going well. And so I kept scratching my head and wondering, well, how can that be? I know I'm going the right direction because the mirror said so. And I looked up at the mirror and it told me the exact opposite direction this time. Okay? When it came out of the underground garage, it hadn't quite found its satellite, evidently. And it was giving me bad directions. Okay? Now, it worked out all right. I found a great barbecue joint. That was worth the trip. You know, I think God maybe called me down that direction. <laughs> but you understand, that's just trivial. I, I got in the wrong neighborhood for a little while. That's a lot different than getting in hell for eternity. You get the bad directions. You get the wrong directions. You go the wrong way. You don't answer the call right that's a lot worse. And that's why we're talking about this today. I, I want everyone in here on the walk that we're talking about. Walking worthy of our calling. To do that, we need good, trustworthy directions. So I decided perhaps the best person to ask for directions is the greatest Christian that ever lived. I consider Apostle Paul of Saul of Tarsus to be the greatest Christian that ever lived. And he tells his own story. Now, I'm not going to tell it for him. I'm going to read it for him. He tells his very own story in that passage that we just read part of in Acts chapter 22. You can also read another version of it in Acts chapter 9 when it happens. But Acts 22 is when he's telling his own story. In fact, he's telling it to the Sanhedrin. The religious leaders that are opposed to what he's teaching, and they want to know why he's teaching about Jesus. Why he's telling people about Jesus. And so his story starts, uh, and the first thing that we learn in his story is that Paul had a religious background. Okay? Listen to what he says. He told the Sanhedrin in verse 3, I am a Jew. 
born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Paul said, I've got a religious background. I grew up as a Jew. I went to the best teacher there was. I learned it the strictest way. And I know as much and more about the law than any of you in this Sanhedrin. He had a religious background. You keep reading in verse 4. He says, I persecuted this way, the, the Christianity, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can hear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take some those also who were there and bring them in bounds to Jerusalem to be punished. There's the second point. Paul had a previous lifestyle. He had a religious background, and his lifestyle was that he believed so strongly that Jesus was not the Messiah that he persecuted Christians. He says, I hunted them down, I arrested them, I took them to court, I watched them be killed. He watched Stephen be stoned and was glad that Stephen was dead because Stephen was teaching that Jesus was the Messiah. That's uh, That was his lifestyle. Now, if we jump over to chapter 23 and verse 1, we read this. He didn't include it in chapter 22, but in the rest of his speech to the Sanhedrin, it says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. That made them so mad they slapped him around for a while. He said, Everything I've done, I've done it in good conscience. I have a perfectly clear conscience. I was doing it. I believed it was the right thing to do. And that's why I did it. So the third thing we can add to our list is he had a religious background. He had a previous lifestyle. He had a good conscience about it. He thought he was doing the right thing. Now, fourth, Paul had to hear the word. We're learning his story here. We've learned about his past. Now he said, uh, reading in verse 6, As I was on the way to Damascus and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. When I fell to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Saul got to hear directly the Word, the Word who became flesh and lived among us. He got to hear Jesus proclaim who he was. Remember, this is the one that he didn't think was the Messiah. This is the one that he spent his life persecuting. He heard Jesus speak. So he had to hear the Word. And then, fifth, he had to decide who Jesus is. 
See it there in verse 8? I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. At that point, he had to decide. Understand, he was utterly convinced that Jesus was not the Messiah. But if you're speaking from a great light in heaven, there's a good chance you're the Messiah. I mean, that's, that's what's going through his head. I thought Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth who dreamed up this story about being God. But if he's talking to me from heaven, you know, <laughs> i got to think about this a while. So he had to make that decision. And if we read, uh, keep reading, uh, the sixth thing we'll find is that not only did he hear the word and have to decide, but once he decided, he had to confess that Jesus was Lord. He did that immediately. Verse 10, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? He admitted he was the Lord. He's in charge. The master, what do you want me to do? I admit you're Lord. I've got it now. I've figured it out. So what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to me, rise, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and we came into Damascus. All right? So he heard what the word was. He had to decide who Jesus is, and once he decided the right way, he confessed that Jesus was Lord. Now, if we read verses 12 through 15, we, we find out what went on in Damascus. It says, one Ananias, a preacher, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight. And I saw him, and he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, and to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. Now there's the specific call. We're, talking, we're not on that today, but that's where he also got the specific call, is he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, we learned that he was healed while he was there in Damascus. And if we go back to Acts chapter 9, we learn that he also fasted and prayed. So 7th and 8th, things that are in our list, he was healed, and he fasted and prayed for three days. We've learned quite a bit about his story, haven't we? You understand all the things that have happened? There's some amazing things that have happened to this guy. One thing still remained. Preacher said to me, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. After everything that had happened, after all those amazing things that we've just looked at, Paul still had to be baptized. Why? Because that's how you answer the call. 
That's how you answer the call. Ananias went on and said, you do that, you call on his name. You call on God's name. That's how you answer his call. He calls you to this universal salvation. You answer the call by calling on his name and obeying him in baptism. After all of that, after that whole story, then Paul had a promise of eternal life. See, some people would think he had it somewhere else. But it wasn't until then that he had it. Some people would think he got spiritual blessings a lot before that. Do you understand? He he got his commission already. God said, you're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But he didn't have all spiritual blessings yet. He hadn't begun to live that new life. He did after he answered the call. Now, there's one man's story. I call him the greatest Christian in the world, so I think it's a pretty good example of a, a story of how some one man answered the call, at least. Now, I realize I'm talking to a minority. I realize most of you have answered the call. And to be truthful, I don't really even know if there's anyone here who's not been baptized. Oh, I know there's lots Youngsters who haven't been baptized. I'm I'm talking about people who are old enough to understand what the universal call is. I'm talking about people old enough to understand the difference between heaven and hell and understand the magnitude of that difference. If you're old enough to understand that and you realize what we talk about when we're saying heaven and hell, when we're talking about call to eternal life, I suppose the odds are there's a few people here in that category. And I suppose the odds are that everyone sitting here who hasn't answered the call has a reason. The reasons are probably different, but you probably have a reason. I want to make real sure you understand what we just went through. Because this is important as heaven and hell. Sir, if you go back to slide 12 for me, all the way back there where Paul started. I want you to think about this in a different way. If you're here and you haven't answered the call, I assume you have a religious background. Paul had a religious background. It wasn't anything to do with Christianity. In fact, it was anti-Christianity from his perspective. He had a religious background. He had a previous lifestyle. He persecuted Christians. He not only had a previous lifestyle, he had a good conscience about it. If you ask Paul, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that lifestyle? Man, I was doing God's work. Let's stop there just a second. If you haven't answered the call, all three of those things are true of you. Now, you might fill in the blanks differently. You may have no religious background. You just have always ignored Anything to do with church. But that's a religious background. You, you may fill one in that, you know, you've got a previous lifestyle. I don't know what it's like. And guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it's like. Uh, Paul later marveled that God called him. He said, I'm the greatest of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. And God called me. 
I don't know what your background is, and it doesn't matter. I don't know if you got a good conscience or a bad conscience about it. That doesn't matter either. Look at some more about Paul. He had to hear the word. All that background, all that religious training, all of that didn't matter till he heard Jesus. He heard who Jesus was, and he had to decide who Jesus was. And once he decided that Jesus really is the Messiah, he said, I confess you as Lord. And he asked you, what do you want me to do? I know you're in charge. What do you want me to do? And he went to Damascus, and he was healed. That was a miraculous thing. He fasted and prayed for three days. But he still had to be baptized. You see, all of those things come up to finally answering the call. Some people would take any one of those things and say, well, that's good enough. A guy that was healed by Jesus, he's got to be called to eternal life. Ananias didn't think so. Somebody that fasted and prayed for three days. He's got to be okay with God. Ananias didn't think so. Somebody that has confessed Jesus as Lord, that has seen him personally, has got to be okay with God. Ananias didn't think so. Ananias said there's one thing left. He said, you need to be baptized. How do you answer the unanswered call? The call of God to eternal life. How do you answer it? I'd say you answer it exactly like the greatest Christian who ever lived. Once he answered it, then came the blessings. Then came the assignment. Then came the eternal life. Then came the new life that he began to walk worthily and later encouraged us to walk worthily. All right. Today we've talked about answering the call, part one. Next week, we're going to talk about answering the call, part two, in that individual service kind of area, and maybe a little bit on the specific. And then in our last week, we're going to talk about who's calling. Because, see, sometimes we make up our own call. It's not God. So we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Now, why did I spend all day talking about one man's conversion? To paraphrase God, because I'm not willing that any should perish. Now, that's what God says. He says, you may be in a room with 700 Christians. And if there's one there who hasn't answered the call, I want him to know how to answer the call. I want her to know what to do to receive eternal life. So that's why I've spent all this time on it. That's the importance of the universal call. So, in a sense, it's time for an invitation song, but this whole sermon's been an invitation to answer the call. Now, I was thinking when I thought about invitations, how invitations have changed since I was a kid. You know, some of you old enough to remember Traveling evangelists especially, they specialized in invitations. You know, it might be 10, 15 minutes long. And it was full of great stories. Inspirational stories. 
about 90% of the time they inspired fear, but they were inspirational stories. That's the way invitations went. Okay? And invitation songs, they might go on and on and on and on. Sing it again. Sing another verse. Sing that one one more time. Let's start at the top again. And there might be another invitation message in between each verse. Okay? And as a kid, you're standing there thinking, please, somebody go forward. (laughs) You know, we're going to be here all night. It's the way it was. You know? And I think, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, I don't think it's real biblical. Yeah, I got to thinking about that. What, what's a biblical invitation? About the longest biblical invitation I can find is the one we just read. Ananias, after Paul had heard the word, after Paul understood what he needed to do, After Paul had had to make the decision himself, the preacher that had been sent to him, Ananias, said, Now, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. That's my invitation to you this morning if you haven't answered the call. Let's stand and sing. Come if you need to come.